I am a young Native American man living on a reservation. I have always felt a strong connection to the natural world, but I never imagined that my family had a secret connection to Sasquatch. It all started when my grandfather passed away, and my father inherited his journal. In it, my grandfather wrote about a time when he encountered a Sasquatch deep in the forest. He described it as a peaceful creature, one that seemed to understand the connection between all living things. My father was skeptical at first, but then strange things started happening. Our family began to hear strange howls and screams coming from the forest at night, and we found footprints that were far too large to belong to any human. At first, we were afraid, but then my father remembered my grandfather's journal and began to suspect that we might have a connection to the Sasquatch. We decided to investigate further, and my father took me deep into the forest to a place that he had only visited once before. There, we found an ancient cave covered in mysterious symbols and carvings. My father explained that this was a sacred place, and that it was believed to be a portal between our world and the spirit world. As we explored the cave, we felt a strange energy around us. It was then that we heard a low growl, and we turned to see a massive Sasquatch standing before us. My father calmly spoke to the creature, explaining who we were and why we had come. To our surprise, the Sasquatch seemed to understand us, and it allowed us to leave the cave unharmed. We realized then that we had a special connection to these creatures, and that we needed to protect them from those who would seek to harm them. Since that day, we have worked to protect the Sasquatch and their habitat from those who would seek to exploit them. We have also embraced our heritage and the connection we share with all living things, and we hope to pass this knowledge on to future generations. Our connection to the Sasquatch has become a source of pride for our family, and we will continue to work to protect them for as long as we live. I should start by saying that I couldn't be sure this wasn't a bear, but it was much bigger than the other bears I've seen. I was exploring the dirt roads off of Hilletburn Road, FS Road 45, trying to find a route to Malala that was still open. I was riding a motorcycle, KLR 650, and came upon a long straight and saw what I assumed to be a very large bear in the road. I'm an accomplished backpacker, adventure motorcyclist, and general outdoors person. I know that large bears are unusual this close to civilization, and that certainly any bears you might encounter are black bears. I'd encountered black bears several times in Oregon, while backpacking, and know what they look like. My first reaction was to slam on the brakes, the thing was probably 300 yards away, but very large. As soon as I stopped the thing stood up on two legs and walked away directly sideways off the road and into the brush. I know bears don't walk for on two legs, especially when making an escape, so that seemed out of place. I rode up to the where the thing had been and saw it had been feeding or checking out a dead deer in the road that I hadn't noticed. The odd thing is that this is in the middle of nowhere, relatively speaking, I've not seen another car up here once you leave the main road and the odds of a car or truck being up here and hitting a deer is practically zero, but the deer had been dead for some time, and was black and rotting. I realized that I'm sitting next to Carrion and had just seen either a bear or something more threatening eating it, 
and rode away quickly to continue my exploring. The only other thing to point out is that the deer wasn't there when I rode back out. This is an area that saw a lot of logging in the 70s and 80s, but is relatively unused now. Most roads are gated, but that doesn't stop a motorcyclist, and generally the forest is young with small sections of old growth. Where I made this sighting there was bigger trees by the side of road concealing an old logging project about 25 feet off the road. Haven't told many people about this, as I didn't want to seem crazy. I've since heard that there have been a number of sightings near Colton, which was the next closest town besides Estacada. In northern Idaho, deep in the Rocky Mountains, there is a cabin that runs a cattle ranch. Chris's brother knows the owner, and invited Chris to spend a weekend up there for some hunting and hiking. The brothers gathered their supplies and a few of their best pals and took off to the mountains. As they were driving up the winding Idaho roads, his brother issued a cryptic warning. Sometimes the cattle escape into the woods and need to be tracked down. The owner of the ranch has seen strange creatures in the forest. I'm not messing around. Everyone laughed and didn't take the warning seriously. Within the hour they arrived at the cabin. On the second day in the mountains, Chris decided to go on an afternoon hunt with one of his friends. They drove down a back road into the forest until the road ended a few miles from the cabin. They got out and walked to the nearby creek, then split off with one person going upstream and one person going downstream. After walking for a ways, Chris came to a silted deposit where he noticed a foul odor and a broken pine tree that was green and healthy. The trunk was snapped in the direction of the water. There were four finger indentations in the tree bark like it had been squeezed and pulled down by a massive hand. Sap bubbled from the compressed bark. On the ground he discovered numerous huge footprints with five toes stamped into the silt. He followed them and counted 73 beautiful tracks that lead to another snapped green pine tree. This tree also had big finger marks on it and was facing in the direction of the water. Tracks danced all around this tree. The smell was now overwhelming. Chris became so spooked that he immediately ran back to the truck. His friend had shot a deer, and they quickly drove back to the cabin with it. At the cabin, Chris explained the situation to everyone. That night, Half a dozen men from the cabin armed themselves, each with a rifle and a pistol, and returned by truck to the end of the dirt road. They parked the truck facing the creek and then walked on foot to the edge of the water. It was a moonless starry night, but the horrible smell still lingered. The band of hunters waited, and at one point howled into the night, calling for the creature. Chris thought he could hear something moving in the forest, but the creek was too loud to be sure. He decided to walk alone upstream and into the woods to get a clearer sound. He could hear that there was definitely something big making its way through the pines. He ran back to the hunters and warned them that something was approaching. Moments later, from both up and downstream, they began to hear branches snapping and footsteps thudding. The sounds came from both directions, closing in on the group. The footsteps grew louder and louder until the booming crunch of a log under the surface of the mud spooked them so much that they all ran back to the truck. 
In less than two minutes, they made it back to the vehicle. The moment they fired up the truck and turned on the headlights, they could see two massive bipedal hairy creatures moving up the creek in the location they had just retreated from. The creature's eyes shined from the truck's headlights. All of the men had clear shots, but all took flight back to the cabin in terror. The stench greeted them upon their return. They feared that with the slain deer outside, the creatures would be drawn to the property. They all slept curled up with their guns that night, but no more signs of the creatures would be found. I told you little brother, I was not f asterisk kin around. He figures he ran into a family of them. There was a wild look in his eyes as he turned to me and said, I know they exist. I was camping by myself at Pansy Lake, just south of the Clackamas Marion County line in and had an encounter. My tent was pitched on an old access road that had grown over but would be an easy route for wildlife. Also, nearby is an abandoned copper mine cave. I noticed that creature sounds were not normal as I went to sleep. I woke up about 1am and could sense that something was nearby. I made no noise and listened intently. After a few minutes I heard a significant branch break. I knew a sizable creature made that noise. I am blind without my glasses but found my mag light and panned it back and forth in the direction of the noise. After 10 or 20 seconds of this, I heard chest beating like a mountain grouse but knew better. I kept up the panning because I did not want to show weakness. Then I got deep lung, ape-like sounds which I cannot describe or attribute to any animal I know of. It was obviously not happy with the light. I kept up the panning and finally the thing took off down a small canyon on the downhill side of the road and up the other side making lots of noise going through the brush. When it got to the other side, I panned over there too and got the ape-like sounds again. I stayed up the rest of the night and nothing else happened. I had gone on many hikes and was never scared like this. That was my last hike. A side note is, vehicles were being habitually vandalized at the trailhead at about this time. Could be humans or possibly the creature. Also, the creature was going in the direction of the abandoned copper cave. I witnessed an attempted murder at Rutledge Falls in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Arrived to the short hike and parked in the parking lot, where my girlfriend at the time remarked how unusual it was to see another car there, much less one from out of state, Illinois tags. It was a green Jeep Grand Cherokee, the boxy type from the early 2000s. Up ahead of us, and traveling towards us, was a man, about 5 feet 9 or so in his 50s, white gray hair, wearing a light jacket with a collar. He saw us and immediately flipped his collar up and hid his face under the brim of his hat. I remember thinking how strange his behavior was. The hike was maybe a tenth of a mile. The sight was the waterfall and you could see it from the road if it weren't for the line of trees and brush in front of the cliff leading down. As we approached and the man left, there was a rustling in the base of that line of brush. I squinted and thought I made out some kind of small animal. When I got closer I saw it was a woman's head and shoulders grasping at a few small bush stumps to keep from falling off the cliff. It's a girl. 
I exclaimed, and she immediately lost her grip. Looked over the edge and saw the last second of what I imagined was a very painful fall. Her legs were over her head and she was tumbling down the slanted cliff, roughly 40 feet down. This isn't a book and nobody's gonna read this so I'll cut to the chase. Me and my buddy climbed down the cliff, carried her back up, and waited for the cops. She came to as we finished giving our account of the events and told us the last thing she remembered she was in a bar in Chicago talking to a nice old man she had just met, and then she came to at the cliff where he had his hands around her throat. She said he shoved her off the cliff when we pulled up. Fully expected to be in court one day describing this to someone, but 13 years later, nothing. This story was told to me by an uncle. He is a park ranger in Ontario. He frequently comments on his work being relatively calm after pandemic, mostly because there are fewer tourists. However, he still has to go out in the wilderness and check on his stuff. One day he had to go through the woods with a colleague, and there were reports of people hanging around without permission. Nothing unusual, just some visitors who are just mean teenagers. Sometimes the issue with these reports was that there were numerous sightings of people carrying all sorts of luggage, like axes and animal skulls, just weird stuff. People can be pretty racist in these parts. It's possible these are the Algonquin people. After all, this is their land. Like imagine unhinged people worshipping Odin in the cold wilderness of modern-day Canada. Aside from whatever occult stuff they were pulling up, According to my uncle, you can find many loons, mad men, and weird people in the woods. There was a word of bonfires, and it was what truly worried the rangers. Nobody was in the mood to deal with a fire in the middle of a health apocalypse, especially considering the past events in California and the Amazonian jungle. Like Canada, surely it is cold, but nobody wanted to see mass fires provoked by mad people. So, they hiked across the wilderness and saw all the normal things. They checked on the state of the trails, if the seasonal animals were doing fine, the state of vegetation, and that sort of stuff. The further they advanced, the more they began to find strange things, odd symbols carved into the tree's crust. Some seemed like runes. Residues such as trash. Those weird Odin worshippers didn't mind eating modern-day snacks. It seemed marks on the ground and small signals here and there about people camping in places not for the general public. Like people had been actively going around the wilderness, but my uncle and his colleague, John, let's call him that, never encountered campers. Whoever was going around had already left. My uncle and his partner would always find weird stuff like one time a cape and a helmet and even a real sword. Someone had been putting on some Nordic cult stuff or something like that. There would also be incense and some other religious miscellaneous items. One night, my uncle and John decided to settle their camp next to a huge elm tree, with the hopes of the tree covering their tent from the winds at night when temperatures would reach very, very low. They ate heated beans and rice while talking about stuff and exchanging stories. Every night, they'd use a portable radio to talk with people in the base area, exchanging news. At some point, 
My uncle's colleague goes to the trees to empty his bladder, and my uncle waits by the fire. Nothing out of the blue. The time passes, and my uncle does not hear John returning. His partner was this huge man in his 40s, a chatty person whom you'd frequently hear even before he reached the camp. So my uncle begins looking at the sights to catch a glimpse of what was going on, but he saw nothing. John was carrying a lantern, so at least one could have expected to see the lights by the trees, but all my uncle saw was black. The minutes began to pass, and he called for John, asking if things were fine. No, that's when he realized the woods were strangely quiet. There was no wind nor the natural sounds you'd expect to hear at night, nothing. And that got him on alert. John would sometimes play a harmless prank or two, especially considering their line of work wasn't the most active of them all, and they spent days outside, but this time things were too calm and quiet to be natural. Things were off. My uncle knew it, so he began to ask towards the nothingness if everything was okay. Was John fine? Where was he? Nobody answered. Well, the wind did. It started to blow stronger and stronger. It straight up seemed like somebody was trying to settle in the atmosphere of a horror movie. My uncle then heard a subtle whisper at his right side. He tried to pay attention to the sound and pulling his body to that side. It was a man's voice, a weak one. My uncle got up, grabbed his light and the rifle, went into the woods. The fire was weak enough to make sure no accidents would happen while he was away. So he walked towards the bigger trees. He kept on asking if John was fine. The voice was slowly getting stronger the more he entered into the wilderness, until he could hear John's voice calling his name for help. That's when my uncle stops. Something was off. Even if that voice seemed like John's, he's already had to help him once, and the times John seriously asked for help his tone was different. Like the voice was the same, so the modulations, but the tone did not match. And the tone of our voices is pretty much dictated by our moods. This was not John. A ball of anxiety grew in my uncle's body, and he is one of the more stoic and calm men I've ever met. The certainty was there, something that wasn't John was calling for him. But my uncle had his rifle and light prepared. He never went to the church or seemed to believe in that sort of thing, but he also told me that sometimes you had to respect the rules of the wild. He began to move the lights in front of him to the side, inside alert and waiting. If John was fooling around, he already would have seen it. But what my uncle saw was something else entirely. It was very tall, like four or five meters. In front of my uncle was a very small clearing surrounded by older and taller trees. The figure was a shady thing around eight or nine meters away from him. It had no gender and was too tall to be a person. The creature was thin and had antlers. In fact, it seemed like its head was a moose's skull. It was blurry at first, he thought those weird cultists were using an animal's head, but it was far too large and tall to be a person. It would have to have been very uncomfortable to walk around in that in the middle of the night, and the short hairs of my uncle's nape stood up. This being moved towards him. My uncle yelled out as a warning. It stayed quiet, and he readied his rifle. 
It called him with John's voice, but much more distorted and crackly. My uncle firing into the air then turning on his heels and running. The sound that thing made was not human. My uncle ran and ran, even though I listened to the dark wilderness, which unfortunately he got lost and had to wait for daylight to find the trail. He only had his light, and even that was dying. In the morning, John was there waiting for him worried. He had heard my uncle calling for him at night and another bunch of weird strange noises that he could not quite understand. When he had returned to the campsite, nobody was there. My uncle was not answering his calls, and so this is what they both believed to have been a Wendigo. I'm not too sure about that either, is he? But it's definitely speculated that what they saw and encountered was of the supernatural. This is one of my desert stories. They are all true, with the given disclaimer that I am only human and have made mistakes in perception and judgment the same as the rest of us. I don't drink booze to more than a light buzz most of the time and have only blacked out once as early in my teens, I don't really mise with weed, and avoid hallucinogens. Deserts are inherently kinda otherworldly places, even if you call one home. Dunes in particular are very odd. I know of only a few places where you can find them in my part of the world. The northernmost are the Kilpecker Dunes in the Red Desert of southern Wyoming, then to the south, Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado, and further south yet are the Dunes in White Sands National Park. Maybe there are others, but these are the ones I've been to many times. They are some of the few places where I feel reasonably comfortable practicing firecraft in dry seasons. They are an amazing place to learn about what you can and can't do without, and to practice more esoteric bushcraft and survival skills. These three locations are also, by amazing coincidence, where these stories take place. I'll start here with the one I've been to the most. I grew up in a high desert. They are unforgiving by their very nature, but if you can take what they throw at you they are full of a surprising amount of life and beauty. The forests and mountains may be my sanctuary, but I fear in my heart that I am ultimately a desert creature, and the dry wind that steals away warmth and moisture also calls me home. I love the desert and the winds that allow nothing spare. I love the rocky creek beds where the bones of the fish that once gave them life blew into dust centuries ago. I love the rocky outcrops rotted away to globular nonforms by wind and ice. The desert is my home. Much like any other home, once you get used to its little tells, a sense of a place forms within you. You know when you're alone in it, when a cherished knick-knack has been moved, a four left open. Sometimes the echoes of a missing familiar sound can whisper a warning, a slight sense of offness. Sometimes though, they can scream. The dunes of the Red Desert are not easy to get to, and depending on which part you are in, entry can be of dubious legality. I, of course, of course, would never advise going where you aren't allowed, and certainly never have in my hastier, less cautious youth. No sir. I had been many times, and I tried to avoid camping or tooling around out there in the same spot. Alcohol was usually hauled out, water always was, and usually some lightweight means of defending oneself. 
but there is an exactly a plethora of prey animals to feed a huge predatory population, so it's not really all that necessary. Somewhere around a decade ago, maybe more, maybe less, I took something of an on-again, off-again girlfriend of mine out to the Red Dunes, hopefully for a, a night of fun, if not outright debauchery. The pretense, which she later happily confirmed was pretense for her as well, was that we were there to practice air-based water collecting techniques and firecraft. I've never been much of a smooth talker, but what can I say, hope springs eternal. I won't use any real names, but I'll refer to her by the trade I most associate with her, so let's call her Grace. It was a drive and a half, but eventually we got there, and in relative comfort. Like many young women in the Mountain West, parental worries of their daughters being stranded somewhere by buying them overbuilt SUVs with a WD and enough creature comforts to make you feel like you never left home at all. As they have the gas efficiency of a Derrick fire, and Grace was nothing if not practical, she had yanked out half the seats and turned the inside into huge cargo space, including a secondary gas tank. I understand that this is not necessarily safe if done by an amateur and is typically outside of the cab in a truck bed, but whatever. Not my vehicle. Anyway, this was good, as we burned a lot of gas to get out there, and the AWD was very handy. We got there around the hottest part of the day, which in the early fall isn't so bad, and hiked out to where we wanted to set up camp. I had on occasion read about then before, and decided to attempt a travoy with a couple of poles I had brought for the purpose. For the time expenditure of around 20 minutes of setup and the purpose of dragging crap along the sand, I gotta say, not bad. I was able to haul all of out BS out by myself around three, three and a half miles from where we parked. The dunes cover a truly huge space, and my favorite parts are of course the hardest to get to, as they tend to be the farthest from the adverse. I don't have an issue with them necessarily, but I like the dunes best when it's quiet enough to hear them sing. I don't understand it well enough to explain it, you'll have to look it up. They are what are known as living dunes and they make a noise folks call singing. Of course, as a younger man trying, in a self-awarely stupid fashion, to impress my date with my muscles and trying to maintain a lively conversation without revealing how winded I was, don't judge, walking on shifting sands is hard, I wasn't listening for the singing of sand, but trying to catch what Grace was saying over the wind. This story isn't about that part anyway. But I can say, even with something of a bittersweet taste in my mouth now, that it was a pleasant time with a person I once loved, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. We set up our camp in the nook between a few dunes, erecting a virginal handmade tent of Grace's design and manufacture with some difficulty and good-natured swearing. It was pretty cool, a kind of low wedge designed to be erected in high wind zones and remain warm. It had a dead air space built in, which was a pretty neat feature to my mind. Along with it, we discovered why a Dakota fire pit doesn't work well on shifting sands which should have been obvious if either of us thought about it for more than a half second, and thoroughly chastised by the cruel dictates of basic physics, dug a regular fire pit like folks with functioning frontal lobes. We set up a few frames which held elevated tarps with stones in the middle over half-buried buckets to attempt to collect dew as well. I showed her the basics, 
and Grace lit her first friction fire with a willow bough drill, a cottonwood baseboard and yucca stock spindle. This is my go-to combo in the western steppe, by the way, in only a few tries. As the pre-dusk light show that decans every evening, known to the natives as golden hour, probably to everybody for all I know, rolled across the dunes and mountains of the Red Desert like so much maple syrup over harsh and unusually topographically variable pancakes. Grace and I were letting some stew cook over the fire while I showed her how to process yucca for fiber. We had a very pleasant evening characterized by not enough stew and too much whiskey. In a song I wrote, very much not for her, except in the fact that it very much was, accompanied by one of those horrible little broom-shaped traveling guitars. As is the way of the fortunes of all young men trying to impress women who they should know have them dead to rights already, the beast string broke halfway through. If you can't make the object of your affection swoon, making them laugh their asses off isn't a bad consolation prize. We ended the night wrapped in a blanket by the fire, watching the moon rise and the stars do their gentle revolving dance around Polaris until I carried her, snoring like bandsaw, into her sleeping bag. I settled into mine and let the sound of the wind and the singing dunes carry me to sleep. As an aside, folks who might still benefit from this advice, take time to remind yourself to remember moments like these as they happen. They are gifts and they should be treasured as such. I rested comfortably for a while, maybe an hour or two, before the whiskey reminded me of the debt I now owed it and I went to relieve myself. I was immediately taken aback by two things. One was the ludicrous brightness of the moon. Despite the residing in the red desert, the Kilpecker dunes are in fact a kind of creamy tan color, and on nights with a full moon, you might find darker conditions under a storm cloud in the middle of the day. The light seemed like it was pulsing a little, which I assume was probably more to do with dehydration and booze than the actual light sources. The second thing I noticed was the calm. It's almost always windy in Wyoming. It just is. I grew up there, walking to school in steady 40 miles per hour winds. Calm does happen but it's usually a relative calm, like only 8 miles per hour winds. This was still. Waking up to the calm is like waking up in a strange room you don't remember falling asleep in. Not inherently bad, per se, but disquieting and alien in a small but pervasive way. I climbed up a nearby dune, because if I have to urinate, I may as well do so from a great height, the men reading this will understand and because I wanted a good view of the surrounding area under its unusually well-illuminated conditions. The only sound was my footsteps, my breath, and the gentle hum of the dunes themselves. Not even an owl to be heard. As I got to the top, a mountain came into view. Actually, several did. This isn't an unusual experience in the Rockies as visibility can often be hundreds of miles in clear conditions and farther FEM elevation. What was of note was that above the ones to the north of me there were flashes and flickers of light. Thunderstorm up north was my first thought, which would have been a safe bet. But I saw no clouds past them. I then noticed the ghostly colors of the lights and realized I was watching the Aurora Borealis, which I was hitherto unaware could be seen from that far south. I took a moment to relax and enjoy it, before scanning around me to see what other sights the moon would show me. 
It was then that I spotted, down below me in a flatter area, what appeared to be many numerous four-legged creatures. Cows, sheep, antelope, hell, even deer or elk wouldn't be that strange. I honestly couldn't tell you what they were, only that we were probably more than 20 and less than 50, more about that in a moment. But in the middle, I swore I saw an old school I kid you not covered wagon. Not the pioneer kind, but the blockier, fully roofed shepherd's hut on wheels that dotted Wyoming like freckles a hundred and twenty years ago. Folks think it was the cattle that built the West, but Wyoming first and foremost was built on sheep. However, whatever I was seeing, it was all backlit by the moon, so they were casting shadows from the side facing me. Now, I'll be honest with y'all, I don't have the absolutely clearest vision. It's not bad, better with glasses, but I don't usually bring them with me to throw a leak in the middle of the night. So when I say the movement of these critters and the wagon looked strange, almost flickery, I expect you to take it with a grain of salt. I expect you to say it had something to do with the aurora or my eyes being tired, and those are all legit. Thankfully I have really good hearing and olfactory perception. What my mediocre vision doesn't explain is why I was looking at something probably less than a mile away and I couldn't hear it on a still night. Wagons are noisy. They creak worse than boats, even when new. Livestock are noisy, and I'd find it odd to see a group that size with no bells around their necks. Nothing. Silence. Furthermore, why would you try to travel by night? It was bright, sure. But it's not like that's a common practice, at least not according to anything I've ever heard. You want your critters together and easily defended from predators, that's what I understand. I watched them for a while, moving slowly across the ground almost like they were underwater. Slow enough I broke off a yucca stock and stuck it into the ground to mark the progress. Slow, but it was there. I stayed up there, watching the lights and the procession of shadows for a long time. Eventually, I decided to whistle at them, the two fingers in the mouth super loud angry dad whistle. I heard it echo back at me, and then nothing. I yelled aloud, hello, at them as well. Echo and nothing, again. Ha. Huh. No change in pace, no lights. I started to think the progress might be the moon moving across the sky and not whatever I thought it was. So, I decided to go grab my binoculars and try to wake up Grace to at least see the lights. It was a little treacherous descending but I made it in one piece. Camp was as I had left it and I relaxed a little. I opened the tent flap and dug around a little, found my knocks but my attempts to rouse my lady friend were unsuccessful. She was not having it. Not at all. She rolled over and went back to sleep, and chastised. I went back up to the top of the dune. It took me a little longer this time. I was definitely feeling the climb by the time I got to the crest again. It looked like a little progress had been made, according to my yucca stock markers. Curious as hell I decided to use the binoculars to try to make out what I was looking at. I couldn't find the shadows in the binoculars. There are two possible influences on that, one being these were old binoculars and they had been stuck in maximum zoom since I had gotten them. The other would be it was in the wee hours of the morning and I had, several hours earlier imbibed some booze, 
but try and try again, nothing. I couldn't get eyes on the critters or the wagon. Couldn't hear them, couldn't get a long distance look at them. What was I to do? I said F it, and went back to bed. Whatever I was looking at wasn't hurting me, it was just curious, and I had grown drowsy and cold lying on the cold sand. I narked the direction with one of the stock segments, slid down the dune on my ass, and crawled back into the tent. As I lay there, waiting for sleep in the warm and dark, I heard that gentle dune noise again, and the wind picked back up. My lullaby. Just as I was drifting off, though, I thought I heard a whistle echo across the sands, but from very far away. I put it done to my ears playing tricks on me, and when I next opened my eyes it was morning. Problem was, I was sitting next to the still crackling fire, not in the tent, and Grace was leaning against me as we sat wrapped in a blanket. I know, I know. F you, this was just a dream, you'd. I can hear you just fine. There are a few problems with that hypothesis, though. One was, I put out the fire before going to bed. Encamping in a giant ashtray with a shovel in hand, it was effortless to put out and I remember doing so very clearly. Another was that I was wearing shoes, which I hadn't done to go relieve myself and I hadn't done since we started the fire the night before, since I wanted a better grip on my baseboard to show Grace how to light a fire with a stick and bow. I have monkey feet, judge away. Here's another, I could see my footsteps up the dune and the trail for my impromptu derriere sledding session. Okay. I woke Grace up, and she said that she thought we had slept in the tent. I concurred, and we sat there blearily blinking at a fire we didn't remember building. I asked her to start the coffee, and climbed back up the dune, this time with my compass and my binoculars. My yucca fragments were there, and I got a heading, scoping out where I thought they were the night before. Still didn't see anything that would have made sense, so I headed back down once more on the H-Cheek Express, and talked to my girlfriend about what I had seen. She wasn't particularly freaked out by any of it, confidently told me I was still asleep or sleepwalking when I saw lights in the bizarre caravan. She was a little concerned by the lost time and not remembering getting up, but I think, to her credit as a reasonable person, she thought I was winding her up. I wasn't offended. I was, however, racked by curiosity. What the hell had happened? I'm not a sleepwalker as far as I know, and I as I am now, writing this, have lost time before out in the wilderness but never before this incident. Was it just weird shadows? Had I been asleep? My markers were there, so I had been pretty lucid for a someone. One simple test I thought of would confirm or deny it. I decided to throw on my boots and hike over to where I thought the trail should be by my best guess, while I let Grace do her morning routines. A short, brisk walk later, and I found nothing. No prints of any kind. This part wasn't as sandy as some others, so prints wouldn't have been everywhere, but there were none likelihood of sleep and booze-fueled hallucinations increasing. I did a fairly thourpug erch of a few hundred yards in several directions, leaving my water bottle as a guide for where I thought it should be. No prints. I didn't give up. I trust my senses most of the time, and I'm stubborn. Also, I wasn't seeing anything that, given the angle of the moon, 
should have cast a shadow like that. Scrub, low brush. No trees, no boulders. I kept looking, first along the route I thought they would have come from. No prints again. Something did catch my eye though. In a less sandy patch, I saw a long stretch of depressed clay. A rut, I realized, and some mild depressions in the rock here and there. A rut from a wheel made of something harder than modern tires, with a less gentle suspension. Now that I was looking for it, I saw more here and there. Headed to bisect the dunes, from one grassland to the next. Just an old, old trail from long ago. I don't know what any of that was. I wasn't of sober or clear mind, although I was far from blackout drunk or sleep deprived. Grace got angry at me after a certain point of talking about it, so I stopped bringing it up. We finished out our outing. Our water collectors were successful in that they collected dew and unsuccessful in that it was about a cup and a half from the three of them together. We made a BOLO out of some rocks and yucca cordage, pre-made, it's a process and what we had made while we were there was minimal and strictly as a tutorial, we practiced outlottle skills, ruined some perfectly good flint in the attempt to make a pair of blades. We shared many good meals together. Still, overall, a very pleasant trip. After another couple of uneventful nights we headed home. I hadn't discussed it with anyone since really. I have no good explanation. I have however been out there again, and while I've never seen anything like that again, twice in my recollection I whistled at the top of the dunes before going to bed, and later that night, I was sure I heard one back. Probably just another camper. Probably. I was hiking alone with my dog. It was at the beginning of the hike so I was still very close to a town. I met a family walking together, a man, a woman, and a kid. The man says hi to me and it's obvious he wants to talk so I stop, assuming he wants to ask about my dog's breed or something. My dog smells him and he says to my dog, ah, you know who the master is here, WTF? Then he asks me are you not afraid to walk alone? I tell him no, I'm not. Then he asks me are you sure? You're a young woman alone. Are you not afraid of being attacked? Well, now I am, thanks. I tell him that I'm close to the town, so no. He then told me how I shouldn't be without a man and keeps asking are you not scarred of being assaulted or killed by someone? At this point I wanted to ask him if by someone he meant him. I pointed out that I had a big dog with me, and told him how my dog was protective and wouldn't hesitate to defend me if anything goes wrong, which is true but I mostly said it to scare him in case he had bad intentions. I made eye contact with the woman and kid at some point, and it was obvious they were embarrassed. Eventually I left and I never saw them again. This all took place in a rural area in France, not a place that's especially dangerous for women. I was hiking in a remote Arizona location. Nearing the trailhead as the sun was going down I ran into a guy who only had a sweatshirt on. No backpack. No water bottle. Just looked like he was on a casual walk to the mall or something. 
I remember after passing him that there was just something off about him. I had intrusive thoughts about how easy it would be for him to sneak up on me or something. I usually don't think about that at all but I couldn't shake it this time. It really didn't make sense that he was up here without any gear this late in the evening. Also I was still a good three miles away from the Tennessee when I passed him so not like he's going for a quick stroll. He was hiking for at least three miles with no water or anything in Arizona. So finally I get back to the trailhead parking lot, curious to see this guy's license plate and where he was from, when oddly there was no car in the parking lot. It was empty except for mine. This is the only parking space within this area and the next one is outside of the wilderness zone which was 10 plus miles away. Also there is a gate that closes at around sunset so there is no way in after the gate closes, you can leave but can't come in tire spikes so yeah you actually can't come in. So, to this day I have no idea how this guy even got there. Maybe he was dropped off but he would have had to know there was no way for someone to come back and get him, signs posted about when the gates close, he would have known that he would be dropped off 10 plus miles outside of anything without any gear or water, in Arizona. Just so weird. Hey everyone. Last night I remembered a time I think I experienced sleep paralysis. I say sleep paralysis because I have no other logical explanation for what had happened. It was years ago, and I couldn't sleep at all. At around 4am in the morning the door to my bedroom was opened and out came a woman, who looked very similar to my mother. Only she was eerily pale and had a crack in her face as if she was made out of porcelain. Her hair was wiry and she hunched over. My heart was pounding as I saw her and she said in a low rumbling tone, to go to bed. But it came across almost like a threat, pointing her long nails at me. I tried to scream, but I couldn't get the word to escape my lips. It was as if they were sewn shut. My family and I went camping every summer on a lake in a very rural part of our state. This lake has no houses on it as it was state land, and I later learned that camping was prohibited, but we would load up our aluminum rowboat and make three trips across the lake with enough gear and firewood to last five seven days. We always camped out on a narrow peninsula that had a clearing big enough for three four tents and spent our days fishing and swimming. The lake wasn't huge, but in order to hike to where we were camped, it was about five miles from the nearest road. One summer night when I was 11 or 12, I set up my tent further into the woods about 100 feet away from where my parents and younger brother were sleeping. I had recently discovered masturbation and didn't want to put my tent near my parents where they might hear me fapping. Anyhow, things start off like usual. My dad takes me and my brother fishing while my mom starts making her famous camping stir fry and we all have a great night around the campfire. Eventually we all retire to our tents and sleep for the night. At around 3 a.m. I woke up to the sound of slow footsteps. Crunch. Stop. Crunch. Stop. Closer and closer the sound got. My heart started racing. I was old enough to not feel like a kid, 
But in that moment I was totally down for the hide under the blankets and the monsters can't get you defense. At that time my major fears were aliens and Bigfoot, so I was certain that something was approaching my tent to abduct me and or drag me off into the wilderness. I hunkered down in the field position, safe in my sleeping bag, and the sound just kept getting closer. Eventually the Bigfoot alien was right outside my tent just standing in silence. Then it exhaled with the lung capacity of a woolly mammoth whoosh, dropped a handful of what sounded like jelly beans, turned around walked back into the forest. I never really got back to sleep, but a few hours later under the safety of the rising sun, I mustered the bravery to leave my tent and survey the area. Directly outside my tent was a pile of deer shit and a couple of fresh tracks. The woods are scary yo. Late to the party, I know, and not see, air or wilderness, but nine months or so ago I was exploring this 100 plus year old mostly abandoned sewer system, it connects to old privies and I was looking for old bottles and crap. I have strange hobbies, whatever, get over it. So I noticed this wire coming out of a borehole, followed it for a few blocks and found an old school rotary phone sitting on the floor. Picked it up and it had a dial tone. No idea who put it there, why they did, how long it had been there, or where it was plugged in at the surface. I was very tempted to call myself to get the phone number, but since I was trespassing, I got paranoid and decided it was probably a bad idea. The tunnel where the phone was sitting was entirely abandoned, bone dry and dead ended in collapse, probably about 40-50 feet below the surface. Still quite confused about it. A friend was there a few weeks ago and said he found it too, still had a dial tone. No clue WTF is up with that phone. My family owns a small area of land out in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. This is not a commercial campground either, the nearest person is miles away. I haven't been back to this area in six years since my grandfather owned it and he has since passed away. We were planning a trip to the campground and it takes about three hours to get from where I lived at the time to the site, going from highways eventually down isolated back roads. I rode down there with my grandfather, just me and him, in his truck. My parents and sister planned to arrive the next day. When we arrived it was in the late evening, so we didn't have much time to get everything unpacked before dark. So my grandfather just set up a tent and had us sleep in it until dawn. On the property is a small semi-rundown RV slash trailer and the remains of an abandoned old hunting cabin with half the roof caved in. To this day I have no idea where this cabin came from or who used it, or why it was destroyed. From where our tent was, I could see right inside that cabin. I could not fall asleep in the tent. It was fully zipped but the small screen window was left open to allow cool air to drift inside. As I stared out into the dark I could see a pair of glowing yellowish-blue eyes, like cat or deer eyes, coming from inside the cabin. As a young kid, I had no idea animal eyes did this, and informed my grandfather, who told me it was an animal and to go back to sleep. But every time I tried to sleep I would wake up and see those eyes staring at the tent, 
and I had woken up multiple times between the hours of 10 at night and 3 a.m. to still see those eyes staring. Somehow, I eventually passed out, and when I woke up the next morning, I looked inside the cabin to see if any metal object could be glinting and cause the illusion. There were no metal objects inside. Why would an object gleam at night? And if it were an animal, why didn't it leave and walk away? Surely an animal would have left between those hours. After my grandfather passed, I never went back to that campsite. According to my father, it's because he doesn't want to go there anymore. When I was around 17, 18, am now 23, probably about a year or so before I had symptoms show up. I worked at a cinema which is notoriously haunted. People quit their jobs from seeing things. Multiple people I know claimed to have heard unexplainable voices, laughs, cries, doors locking being knocked on when no one's around that sort of thing. I was working on the food counter and a guy in a wheelchair came in and said look after your body kid in an extremely haunting fashion, me being an amateur drug enthusiast laughed it off, and I'll never forget the look he gave me when I giggled at what he said it's almost like I can still see his face and hear how he said it Eve had sleep paralysis with the guy's face staring back at me creepy s. But the funny thing is shortly after this is when I started experiencing crazy health symptoms, loss of control over my bowels, bladder, pain in legs, arms, etc. I clearly didn't listen to his advice, smoking, drinking, doing pills, sniffing anything that can be sniffed, basically just abusing my body to a high extent. I can't help but think this guy was some kind of messenger, something warning me about the path I was about to go down. So fast forward to today. And not well at all and it all feels like I've just ignored the signs that were put before me. I've never really been too into the whole God stuff, but I've always left a space for the thought of something bigger than me. But recently Eve started praying before I go to sleep, just asking for insurance with my health etc, hoping for the best kind of thing. I've always had an overactive imagination. I used to think I could astral project and always had crazy lucid dreams. But in the past few days, I feel like when I close my eyes, all I can see is crazy dark shit, almost like demons and dark shit going on. But last night, I had these visions where two people were dressed in like robes and one of them offered me a hand, which I took. One of them then continued to dig into my chest and seemingly remove the pain in my chest and then held their hand up almost bringing attention to their five fingers. I don't know what this means and it kind of scares me as to what it could. I guess what I'm here saying is, you guys just think I'm nuts. Anyone had any similar s going on in their life? Is it time to fully accept God into my life? F knows, let me know what you think. My son and I were in the Detroit area in the fall of 2000 October. We heard what we thought was a high-pitched scream coming out of the creek bottom. We heard the sound twice, once very close just about 300, yard downhill from us. Then again from farther off into the right in an area of big timber. The sound left an impression on the two of us. We have hunted and fished all over Oregon but the sound is like nothing I have ever in my life. Heard. It was as if you could hear it in your head after the sound had stopped. The area is southwest of Detroit on the south shore. 
Would very much like to hear other recorded sounds, but little unsure. Maybe a little freaky hearing the same sound recorded by other people. Have been interested in Bigfoot since was a kid, but the sound we heard is like nothing we've ever heard. I was in my mid-teens with a friend who was staying the night. We were looking out of my bedroom window, which was on a hill about three miles inland from the sea. This is the south coast of the UK so had a panoramic view out to sea. You could see miles both east and west as well as out to the horizon. Clear night. You could see the sea quite clearly. I guess there was probably some light from the moon. Over on the far left, so east, about five to six red lights seemed to flicker into existence on the surface of the sea. They were quite bright, but nothing crazy. But they were moving to the right, incredibly fast. Like, faster than any boat you could imagine, basically streaking across. They'd sort of go one at a time in quick succession, slightly flickering as they went. They went in little bursts, like maybe 10% of the full area I could see, then another 10%, etc. My friend and I were amazed, couldn't work out what the hell they were, and kept staring. After about two to three minutes they'd pretty much got all the way to the right. Then they all seemed to flicker out completely. Then they reappeared back where they'd started. And the whole thing started again. My memory is they completely flickered out, this time a bit sooner, and that was it. The whole thing was about five to six minutes. So there is just no rational thing this can have been to me. Other than flotillas of impossibly fast boats, which I just can't see in a million years how they could have been that given the speed and behavior, and also who the hell is doing that with what would have to be two sets of boats at 11 p.m. at night? And coordinating it so one lot left immediately after the first etc. The other option is someone shining lights out to sea from the beach I guess? But it's much too big an area in any way. The lights were twinkling in a way that meant they were clearly shining out. And again, who the hell would have set that up for some weird five minute display? So yeah, aliens I guess? Even then, floating aliens? Never really heard of those, although there are some stories of craft coming out of the sea for example some elements of the Nimitz story. All just very weird anyway. In August of 1998, I hiked into the Sky Lake Wilderness to Squaw Lake to fish. Squaw Lake is located in dense alpine forest approximately southeast of the upper end of Formeal Lake and reached by trail three miles from the Formeal Lake campground. When I reached the lake, mosquitoes were so bad that I made my way to the lake shore where an onshore wind kept most of them away from me. At the shore I fished for a while when the wind briefly changed direction, blowing offshore. As the wind changed I noticed a very foul smell. I remember thinking that there must be something dead in the willow thicket about 10 feet on the other side of the trail from where I was standing on the lake shore. This smell was followed shortly by a sound like something hitting a tree with a large rock or branch. This was followed a while later by what I passed off as a bird, but it was not like a sound made by a bird, more like a high-pitched howling. This sound was like the scream recorded in Ohio. This scream was followed by the tree pounding sound again. 
By this time I was becoming very unnerved and had an increasingly overwhelming feeling of being watched and I did not want to find out what it was. So I gathered up my courage, made my way through the mosquitoes back to the trail, returned to the trailhead and left the area. I had a bizarre experience about two years ago near the Three Sisters Mountains of the Mackenzie River area in central Cascades of Oregon. I was camped in a lake we had packed to, next to a closed BSA campsite. We were definitely alone as we had special permission to be there from the BSA and it was off-season. It was in May and the snow had finally cleared in most spots and the weather was warming up. Anyway at dusk there was a long series of high-pitched gruff, buzzing whistles that we heard adjacent to camp. We had camped close to shore bellow arise that overlooked the lake in our camp. The sound echoed around the lake and were fairly loud. Only three of the six of us heard it. It moved slowly along the bluff back and forth for about 45 minutes. A friend and I went to see what it was and it would move off away from us. As we would get closer to the source. It stopped shortly after dark, however it resumed at dawn and got very close to camp. When we felt comfortable to investigate, there was no sign of any kind along the animal trail that traversed the ridge. There was a cross path that cut through a thicket that had been recently used by animals. We are all veteran hunters, trackers, and woodsmen and none who heard it could say what it was. It definitely was an elk, frogs, or crickets. It was unlike anything we had heard previous or since. Does anyone know of any reported sightings in that area from 1998 or 99? How about any known bird or animals that would make this sound? I am trying to remain objective about this and not branded a Bigfoot encounter and have been thinking about it for the last two years. My name is Kurt. Me and my fiancé Sean were camping up off of Ben Smith Road August 1st 2, 1998. Sunday the 2nd, we packed up camp by noon and headed down to the Wilson River to cool off a bit. It was very hot. We drove down off of Ben Smith Road going east on the Flats Road that follows the river. We crossed the river to lay in the sun. We were there for 10 to 15 minutes, when I saw someone or something down river about 45 to 50 yards swaying back and forth with its head down the whole time, while also moving up and down river with no problem at all. I didn't think much of it at first. But when Sean got up and moved to the middle of the river it spotted us froze and then glared at us. Then I moved to the middle and didn't take my eyes off of it. It moved to the right of the river in some bushes somewhat hiding it seemed like. Then I knew something wasn't right, it had big hair and long arms. It didn't act human-like at all. I couldn't make out a face just eye sockets. I wondered what it was wearing winter clothes for when it was 90 degrees outside. They were not clothes. It had reddish blonde like hair and was about six feet tall. I have hunted and fished up at Lee's camp for years and have never seen anything like it before. After we got home that night we talked about it more, leaving us with a strange feeling. We know what it was now a female yeti. Hiking by full moonlight near Joshua Tree with some friends. It was around 2 a.m. 
We come across this massive natural amphitheater with huge boulders lining the sides like a well-organized audience. Uniform rows starting at the bottom and rising the cliff walls up maybe 150 feet. Continue walking into the amphitheater, feel chilling air as if being watched or that something was impending. See a large figure in the center about halfway up, looked half rock slash half human in general shape. Continue walking. Anxiety intensifies. Can literally hear and feel the presence of this figure. Group of eight dudes nope the F out of there. No clue what it was or was not, never went back. This happened in Ankara, Turkey. There is a national park merged with the town here, which has nice picnic and camping spots. And there is one specific picnic spot I love and go to. It's on top of a hill, great observation point, has pre-built stoves and shit. Great place. So, one day, I read that Jupiter, could also be Mars can't remember, could be seen to the naked eye at night. So I decide to load up my friends in truck, get my telescope and picnic stuff and go there. The area is not far away, next to a three-lane road, which sees a car maybe once three hours, and always has two security guards on watch. So we do our little picnic and watch Jupiter. Cool and all. It's 3 a.m. Let's walk around a bit. The giant fossil tree is walking distance, three kilometers from here. So we go there, for guys. See the fossil tree and other fossil stuff on display. It's 4am now better go back and pack up. As we are walking back, I see a figure on the opposite side of the road. Very big and burly. Remember that it's full moon and Kazilkamum is a place with lots of bears, enough that we have myths of them raiding the small mosques and picnic areas. It looks at us, stands up and starts making noises. A 2.5 mountain tall thing yelling at you. We are frozen. Then we see her cubs. A few meters away from us two fur balls are standing and looking at us, approaching closer as they want to sniff us. We stand in complete shock, thinking what we gonna do if mama bear gets angry enough to murder us. The bear cubs are literally hugging our legs now. And Mama Bear is angry as ever. After an eternal five minutes, the cubs decide that we aren't tasty or funny and go back to their mama. Mama Bear, still angry, keeps yelling at us for more but we got out of the shock a few minutes ago the cubs left, so we stand closer and don't turn away. Eventually she gets tired of it and keeps on walking on the opposite side of the road. The story of it got so corrupted that we have people in the town believing that we fought off a bear, or another one where we fed her cubs milk and pet them while the mama bear watched etc. We all got free access to hunters local even though none of us are hunters. A few years back I was visiting Australia with my family. We're visiting some friends in Mildura and we decide to go visit an old sheep shearing building that was historic or something. Anyhow the doors to the farm-like building are shut and while we're standing around taking photos, classical music is playing. Not a recording or anything, it sounded like people using violins and trumpets. I'm an awful writer so I can't really explain it, 
but it just sounded like someone was doing it for a party. Then it stopped. No instruments. And all the folding chairs folded up. I ignored it assuming it was probably just a radio, but then once we left about 10 meters, we hear a blood-curling scream. It sounded like a man. And we run inside the farm and nothing's there. Two stories, but not incredibly out in the wilderness stories, these happened in the woods by my suburban house. First, three years ago, my mom and I were home alone and we went to bed. I woke up because of a bright light in my room, this was a school day so I was worried I missed my alarm, I went to my window and looked outside and the night sky looked as clear as day. It was spectacular, the moon and a few of the brighter stars were in a blue sky that was darker and eventually black at the horizon, and you could see the color of the grass and trees and flowers we planted. I was absolutely mesmerized by it, and then I checked my phone and remember thinking WTF it's 1am. I don't remember how long I stayed looking outside, but eventually I woke my mom up and showed her and we were both stunned. It happened a few more times, but I haven't seen a night sky so visible ever since. Second story is a bit short and cliché. Found an abandoned house, but this one is in a thicket maybe a block away from mine. I went with a few friends in the winter to explore it after a big snowball fight. We found vials filled with clear liquid, televisions, an intact Chevy Chevette. We went further in the house in what I presumed to be its yard, which barely had a roof anymore, and found chairs around tables and makeshift fire pits which looked recently placed. Finally we found piles of black trash bags buried in the snow. After opening one we saw that they were filled with decomposing clothing and boots. At that point we all decided hard nope friends and bugger off out of there. After talking about it recently we think it may have been some junkies hideout. Which is unnerving since this house is only a block away from mine, 30 feet away from a major pedestrian bike path and right behind a school.